Leo Biscaglia, passed away about 15 years ago now, but I still think about him every Christmas. He was an incredible author. I enjoyed reading his books for more than 20 years. Uh, he was a professor at USC. He was speaking all around the country. He was just an amazing guy. But he tells about a story that I remember very clearly of when he was going to be out giving a speech. He was long away from home doing this, um, giving a seminar, and he wanted to get home for the Christmas holidays. But in order to get home, it was a long, long way, and he had to travel across the desert to get back there in Southern California. And so he, he was headed out, and he was wanting to push on and get there, but he was going to be leaving any kind of civilization, kind of like one last truck stop, and then it'd be a long way before you get anything to eat or drink again. And so he looked at it and decided it kind of looked like a greasy spoon, but he decided he'd go ahead and get something to eat. He said, I didn't usually eat in places like that, but he said, I know I didn't really have any options if I was going to try to keep on going, and so he pulled in. He went inside and started kind of looking around. What is everybody else eating at the moment? Seemed like a lot of people were eating pork chops. So he sat down and his waitress came over. Her name was Flo. Flo came over and said, what do you want? And he said, you know, I think I'm going to try the pork chops. She brought them out and they were delicious. He said it turned out to be an incredible meal. Pork chops, mashed potatoes, cream gravy. He said it was great. So much so that when he came to the end, Flo came to clear the plates. He said, could you take me back to see the cook there in the kitchen? What's the matter? She said, something wrong? No, no. It's just they were so good. It's one of the best meals I've ever had. I'd just like to tell the chef, is there something wrong with going back there? No, no. But you're kidding me, aren't you? No, no, I'm not kidding you. I just would like to see him. Is there a problem? No, just nobody's ever done that before. Follow me. Got up and Leo said, I started following her. We went back towards the kitchen, went through some swinging doors, and we came into the kitchen, and he said, this was like something out of a movie. I mean, just the kind of guy you would expect. This big, burly guy. He had a chef hat on. Sweat was running off his brow. He had a big gut hanging over his belt standing there with a meat cleaver in his hand. And she said, hey, Mac, this guy wants to taste something. And he turned around, yeah, what do you want? Uh, uh, Mr. Mac, um, I, I just want to tell you, I, I literally have traveled around the world. I've eaten at some of the finest restaurants around the world. And I've never had better pork chops than I had here tonight. They were so tender and tasty. The mashed potatoes were so smooth. The cream gravy was perfect. I just got to tell you, it's one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. I just want to say thank you. Keep up the good work. And Leo said, it was like I had taken a two before and hit this guy between the eyes. He was stunned. He just stood there with his meat cleaver looking at me and didn't say a word. He just kept staring. Finally, he said, you want some more? <laughs> it's on the house. <laughs> and Leo said, I, I left that night and I was so reminded. 
that what we say and what we do really affects the way that other people experience life. And right now at Christmas, what you and I say, what we do, it will affect how other people experience Christmas. In our scripture lesson this morning, there's a line that jumps out at me. I've always thought it was interesting. Never preached on it. But it's a simple line where Herod says, it says, And Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was a very jealous, insecure man. Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The scripture tells us, it was the wise men who had been afar and who saw the star for Jesus' birth. They took that as a sign that a king was being born. And so they had traveled all the way to Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem to ask of the scribes, the Pharisees, where the king is to be born. Now, I've always kind of wondered, you know, wise men, I didn't feel like really acted so wise. You come to a king to say, good news, we're hearing another king has been born. You know, even a very secure, healthy, self-esteemed king might feel a little threatened at that. But sometimes the truth is hard to hear. And for someone who is jealous, insecure, to hear the message a king had been born, oh, Herod was troubled. And if Herod was troubled, everybody was going to be troubled. You know, it's that sort of way with life. Right now, you and I are going to start getting together with our families here in the next uh, few days, next week. We're all going to be getting together as family and friends. And, you know, when you get together with your extended family, well, sometimes, you know, you have maybe five or six, but maybe your family gathering is going to wind up being 10, 15, 20. Have you ever noticed when you get together, it's so exciting? But have you also noticed how the stress goes up? You get all together as a family and, well, what time do we eat? Well, we need to eat at 1. No, let's eat at 12. Let's eat at 5. How are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? We're going to unwrap presents. Do we unwrap presents all at one time? Do we unwrap presents one at a time, seeing what every person gets? Oh, you know, you get together as a family and lots of people got different agendas. And if you're not careful, what you see is the stress level goes up. And can't you get frustrated? Don't you ever feel angry? And sometimes we speak out, saying those things that are so painful and so hurtful against other people. It happens. You are troubled. And because you're troubled, everybody is troubled. It's the way that it happens. You're troubled. We're all troubled. What I want to do this morning is I want us to think about as we're coming up to this Christmas season as we're growing ever so closer, because it's going to happen with your family, it happens at work, it happens when you're at the mall with a bunch of strangers. What you say, what you do, affects how other people will experience Christmas. So what do we need to be mindful of? Just three things. First of all, be careful and thoughtful about the words you use and what you say. Because you can get frustrated and you can get upset and you can get angry and say those things, those things that are critical and hurtful, and you may not remember them an hour from now. 
but the people who've received those words may think about them for years. The power of your words and the power of your anger. We need to be mindful and think about this. One of my favorite books is entitled Not Fade Away. It was written by Peter Barton. Peter Barton was out in Colorado and he was a very successful entrepreneur. He was married. He had a a couple of kids. Life was great. Peter, Peter loved life. And at 49 years old, Peter developed stomach cancer. By 51, he was dead. The last two years of his life, he wrote an autobiography reflecting on his life and what he'd experienced and what he'd learned. And one of the things he talked about was when he was eight years old, he was playing baseball, playing Little League. And he loved playing Little League. The one thing he wanted was though it was for his father to come watch his game. And his father never came. His father was a traveling salesman internationally. Quite often his father was out of the country a month or two months at a time. And so it came to the end of the season, last game, his father was finally in town, would see one game. And Peter said, I was playing second base. And I was so excited, my dad was there, and I wanted to do well. And here I went through the entire game and didn't get a single ground ball. Nothing. But there were two outs. Last inning, we were ahead by one. There was a man on second, and they hit a ground ball to me. And he said, I will always remember thinking the thought flashed through my mind. Yes, I'll make the last out and my dad will be proud. I got. And he said, I went down for the ball and it took a bad hop. It hit the top of my glove, rolled up my arm, hit me in the chest and fell in front of me. He said, I I, I, I immediately started to panic. I thought, stay calm. You got plenty of time. So I reached down and picked up that ball to throw it to first base. But now the adrenaline was pumping. And he said, when I threw to first base, I threw it into the stands. He said, that guy from second base came all the way around and scored. The batter went all the way to second. He said, I was humiliated. Our coach, well, he was very concerned about wins and losses. And he hollered to our pitcher, Andy, who was out there, Andy, strike out the next kid. You obviously have to do it all on your own. He said it, it, he made it sound like I didn't just make an error. He said, like I always made errors. He said, that's 43 years ago. He now was sick with cancer and he was dying. And he said, when I think about that, it still hurts. Sometimes you and I say those things because we've gotten frustrated and things are struggling and we speak out in anger. And an hour later, you've forgotten about it. But those things that are said, they can be so hurtful and people carry them with them for a long, long time. The wise men, when they went to go see the baby Jesus, found him and they worshipped him. And in a dream, they were told, go home a different way. Don't go back to Herod. And so they listened to God and they didn't go back to Herod. And when Herod found out that he had been tricked, the Bible says if you read on in that scripture... He was in a rage. He really was angry now. And so he called together the soldiers and sent them to Bethlehem to kill all the male babies two years old and younger. And it says the people of Bethlehem were weeping and wailing and they would not be comforted. 
to be insecure, to lose your temper, to get angry, to speak those words that are so hurtful. Those are things that can last for years. And yet the truth also is, when you and I speak the words of hope, of affirmation, of encouragement, of love, they can touch a person's soul. What you and I say and what you and I do as we gather here through this Christmas season, it affects how everybody else is going to experience Christmas. Herod was troubled, and everybody was troubled. So secondly, I believe it's the Christmas message that gives us the courage to confront our own pain. Our own pain when people have spoken poorly of us. Our own pain when we have been hurt. When people spoke angry words to us, those things we have carried for years. I believe the message of Christmas gives us the courage to confront our own pain. You remember we talked about the shepherds last week. How the shepherds were way down the totem pole. They weren't considered special. They weren't anybody. People said things about them. They talked about them. They were critical of them. They had heard that for years. It was hurtful. And yet on Christmas, with the angels singing in the heavens, ah, oh, that's when they heard a message of God's love for them. In spite of their self-esteem, in spite of who they were, they heard God's message for them. And that began to be a significant change for their world. You and I, during this season, can hear God's message for our life and give us the courage to be able to confront our own pain. You know, I, I heard a story about a guy named Alton Logan. Alton Logan, the story started about 30 years ago. He was living in the south side of Chicago. And it turned out there was a security guard at McDonald's who was murdered. And he became accused of the murder. Now, his mother and his brother and he all testified he was at home asleep in bed when the murder happened. But the police were able to produce three eyewitnesses. And ultimately, he had a confession. He had completely denied it, but... What we wouldn't find out for 26 years was the confession was extracted through electric shock and being slammed against the wall repeatedly till he was knocked out and then thrown on a furnace where he burned. And so at that moment he confessed. But when he finally came to trial, he was still saying, I'm innocent. Well, now in the meantime, there was a man, Andrew Wilson, who was in jail, and he was being tried for the murder of two people. And when he heard what was happening to Logan, he told his two lawyers, he laughed and said, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who killed that guard at McDonald's. They said he was gleeful, like he was getting away with something. Well, because of client-lawyer privilege, these two lawyers couldn't go tell what they knew. Because if they went and told what they knew, it would now make their client to where he could be subject to persecution and, or prosecution for another murder and maybe have the death penalty. And yet they knew the truth. In the end, Logan was convicted. Convicted of the murder, sent to prison for life. And these two lawyers, they, they got together, they struggled so much, and they, 
They wrote out an affidavit, all the things they knew, the things they believed, and they sealed it. And they had to wait 26 years. 26 years. Until Wilson died in prison. And when Wilson died in prison, they immediately went and said, we have evidence that will show that Logan is innocent. And so the court reopened the case, and what they began to discover was a pattern of abuse for getting confessions by a small group of police in South Chicago. What they began to see was how many times evidence was ignored. And as they opened the case and looked at all the evidence, they found that Logan was innocent. And after 26 years in prison, he was freed. It was just a couple months before Christmas. He wanted to get away from Chicago as far as he could. He went to Oregon to be with his brother. 26 years of missing Christmas. No Christmas tree. No presents. No going to church. He had never been able to get married, have children. He was there in Oregon and and it started an investigation by Chicago and it went on for five years. And at the end of five years, they began to see how many cases this had happened to and they awarded him $10 million. Sounds like a lot of money, but I wonder if you'd trade 26 years of your life in prison for $10 million. This just happened recently, the award going out to him and, and he was being interviewed. And they said, are you angry? And he said, the first five years in prison, I was in a rage. I was in a rage. But I finally decided, why be angry over something that you can't control? He said, so at this point in my life, I've decided I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to spend my life asking, what if? I don't want my anger to control my future. To be able to look at our lives and say, what does it mean to not let my anger control my future? To confront the pain that we have experienced. I believe it's what happens through the gift of God's grace and the gift of God's strength in the midst of our deepest hurts and our deepest pain we're able to look at that. You know, there's a, the saying, hurt people hurt people. Those who are feeling the struggle, those who are feeling the pain that was inflicted upon them tend to turn around, and that's where we lash out in anger and we hurt others. Be careful. And let Christmas be the time when God's grace gives you the strength to face your own pain. Because third, I believe the message of Christmas really is one of forgiveness. A baby being born in Bethlehem is really about God's expression of His unconditional love. You remember we talked last week about the shepherds and how they couldn't follow all the religious rituals. They were considered unclean. They were considered bad because they couldn't do all the right things. So they had a sense of guilt. And the message about God's love being born in Bethlehem was to say to them, you're forgiven, you're accepted for who you are, God's unconditional love. And today we hear about the wise men, so we see this all at the nativity scene. And what we see is we have the poor and the rich. We have the Gentiles and the Jews. 
And we have the strong and we have the weak. It is a message of God's love, unconditional love for all. It's a message of forgiveness. And when we experience God's forgiveness, I think that's where you and I find the strength to forgive those who have wronged us. Those who inflicted the pain upon us. Because if you can find a time of peace for those who have inflicted the pain upon you, it will change how you then start treating other people. It'll change how you feel. You know, coming out on Christmas Day, there's the movie, Unbroken. I'm sure you've been hearing about it and seeing it advertised. Um, It's going to be directed, or has been directed, by Angelina Jolie. It is a true story of a man named Louis Zamperini. Um, You've probably heard the name before because uh, the story of Unbroken and the story of Louis was originally written by Laura Hildebrand, who wrote Seabiscuit. She wrote it as a story, is on the New York Times bestseller list for four years, and now Angelina has made it into a movie. It comes out on Christmas Day. It turns out that Louis is a fascinating guy. Louis was born back in 1917, grew up in Southern California. And when World War II came along, he enlisted into the Army Air Corps. Got into the Army Air Corps, became the bombardier on a B-24 Liberator, fighting in the Pacific. And one day they were out on a mission, just them in this one airplane. It was a reconnaissance. They were looking for people. It wasn't a bombing run. They didn't encounter anybody. The thing had mechanical problems. And the B-24 crashed into the ocean. Eight of the 11 crew were killed. Louis and two others, they survived. They got into a little life raft. And they began drifting. They had to survive with rainwater catching a small fish now and then, a little bird, albatross might land on the boat to catch it. I mean, they were doing anything to keep from starving to death and being dehydrated, and they drifted for weeks. Finally, they heard an airplane, and they thought, yes, we're going to be rescued. But the plane happened to be Japanese. And when it saw them in the water, this plane came in and began to strafe them into the ocean. No one was hit. It came around to make a second run, strafed them again. No one was hit. And finally, that plane had to keep on getting back to land, low on fuel. But they had shot the raft, and now they had to try to repair this raft to keep it somehow afloat. Thirty-three days into it, one of them died. Now there were two. They continued to drift, trying to fight starvation, dehydration. They would actually drift for 2,000 miles. 47 days in this little life raft. 47 days in this life raft, 2,000 miles, and they hit a small island in the Marshall Islands. They made it to land that happened to be occupied by the Japanese. So here they've survived, only to be taken as POW, put into this constant, these prisoner of war camps, moved from one to another to another. The war had two years to go. For the next 25 months, they would be prisoners of war, and they were treated so horribly, tortured so brutally. You, know, you, you hear these things and you start to think, how can anyone dream up this kind of stuff to do to other people? His family had all been notified that Louis was missing in action. One year later, they received the condolence from the president saying, your son has been killed, but he made it. 
He actually made it. And when the war was over, Louis came home. You can only imagine how surprised and excited the family was. 1946, Louis got married. He was hopeful about life, but he couldn't get away from all the nightmares and all the anger, the way he had been treated, the hurtful things that had been done and said, the pain that was inflicted. And so he began to drink more and more. He couldn't sleep. The nightmares kept coming. One night he was dreaming of how he had his hands around the neck of the man who always kept torturing him and he was squeezing the life out of him when finally his wife was able to wake him up and he had his hands around her throat. Louis just got worse and worse and finally the marriage started coming apart. She was going to leave him when some friends invited her to go to church. And she went to church and she experienced that message of God's unconditional love for her. She came back to Louis and said, you've got to go to church with me. He really wasn't interested. But in 1949, there was this new young evangelist just getting started. Wasn't really known much then. But he'd come to Southern California and he was doing something new called a Billy Graham crusade. And it turned out that, that his wife said, I need you to go with me. And so Louis went. And that night, Billy Graham was saying, if you have suffered, God's grace, God's strength can help you go forward. And Louis said, I just got to tell you, that night, something happened. My body started to tingle. Every part of me, I just got to say, I felt the gift of God's presence and grace in my life. I felt the strength to go forward. Louis changed. The theme of his life became forgiveness. He went out of his way to try to forgive those guards who had tortured him. Not to say what you did didn't matter. It did. But to say, I give up the right to get even. I choose not to hate you for the pain you inflicted upon me. His life became one of a message of forgiveness he changed. He and his wife would be married for 55 years until she died. Louis became so involved in the community, working with young boys and starting boys clubs, and he became a speaker. And He was a man who began to embrace life with an incredible sense of joy and passion for living for 65 years. You see, it was just this past summer. Louis Zamperini was 97 years old, when he died. He died this summer. And when word came out that he had died, Angelina Jolie came out and was saying, I have never met a man who was more kind, more generous, and more passionate about life than Louis. It was Laura Hildebrand who came out and said, Louis was a virtuoso of joy. And every time I was struggling and I was down, I called him. And he always made me feel better. Herod was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And Bethlehem would weep and grieve and they could not be comforted. He was a virtuoso of joy. And every time I called him, he made me feel better. 
what we say and do will affect how other people experience Christmas. It is the season to hear the message of God's forgiveness so that we might confront the pain in our own lives. For when we find that sense of peace, it will change the way that we're able to deal with other people. Be careful. For what we say and do affects how people hear Christmas. We can do it. So go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.